Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Good morning. It's great to see you out this morning. We are so excited to have Keith McKinley here with us. Um, and uh, he's going to be sharing the gospel here in a minute. Keith serves as a missionary in Southeast Asia, and uh, we are so delighted to have uh, you with us. I thought before uh, we take up the offering this morning and before uh, you get to share, it'd just be great for the congregation to hear a little update on you and your family. You have a long history with this church. Yes. There's also a lot of new people who are here over the last year who may not be familiar with you and your family. Can you share a little bit what the work that you're involved with? Sure, fair enough. And we've been uh, members of Westport Road for 20 years, Gail? Thereabouts. I don't know. A long time. Anyway, so I'm here today uh, with Gail, my wife. Hi, Gailzy. She's very shy. <laughs> and some of my kids are here. There they are. Oh, in the very back row. Good Baptist. Rachel, Samantha, and Aaron are here, and our eldest son, Wesley, is with the Coast Guard uh, in Florida. Um, For the past 13 years on the field with the International Mission Board, the IMB, uh, I've been serving as a cluster leader, so that means I lead somewhere around uh, 10 teams, give or take, Um, and I've done that in three different clusters over the past 13 years. Where would you say you really see God at work in Southeast Asia? That's a great question. By the way, these questions are prepped, and I appreciate that, so I can give you good answers. But I I wrote you back. You asked great questions. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about, first of all, on the island of Java in Indonesia, we see two, maybe three areas where there's significant numbers of Muslims coming to faith in Christ. Now, when I say significant numbers, I mean thousands over the past 15 to 20 years. Uh, somewhere ranging between four and 7,000, depending on which of those three areas that you're talking about. So that's one big thing. Another huge thing is um, that we're seeing something like that happen off of Java on another island uh, in eastern part of Indonesia. There, in the past 20 years, we've seen about 8,000 people come to faith out of Islam. Uh, and so that's pretty amazing. But it's not restricted to Indonesia. Uh, the good things are happening, for example, in the Philippines. Philippines has uh, long been a fruitful area for missionary work. And now they're in the position where they, the Filipinos, are sending out their own missionaries. Many to Indonesia. We love that. Um, also, uh, Singapore. Uh, the church in Singapore really is waking up or having an awakening. Uh, they've got a lot of restrictions, legal restrictions. And uh, the church is kind of coming to terms with that. What does it mean to be... A, a true disciple of Christ, someone who shares their faith uh, in an environment like Singapore. Friendly, but restrictive. Share that, share that stat about the population. Of, I believe it's Java. Uh, the, the US, if you made it the equivalent of the U.S. population in the U.S. size. Sure. Take everyone living east of the Mississippi and move them all to Tennessee. That's Java. It's incredible. I mean, that's just mind-blowing to try to <laughs> climb it and how many people would be in such a small space. It's very crowded. And that's... It's, and that's the area where you're serving. That's amazing. Now, obviously, God's doing some great things, but wherever the gospel spreads, there's also challenges. What would you say some of the challenges that you see for yourself and also the church in Southeast Asia? This is why I appreciate having the questions ahead of time. Because my first instinct was to name external obstacles. But the more I thought about it, the real obstacle is me. The real obstacle is us. 
The real obstacle is sin in our own lives. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is many times we're afraid to share the gospel. Now, our fear, or at least our living in that fear, it's, can I call that sin? Let me explain that a little bit. Because when we're afraid to share the gospel, especially when we kind of live in that fear for a while, we're really denying the very nature and character of God Almighty. Because didn't, didn't he the one who told us through his son that he knows as the best father of fathers how to give good gifts to his children? And doesn't we see story after story in the Old and New Testament of God's provision and care for us, even in the midst of dire circumstances? Now, that doesn't always mean that everything's rosy. That's a heresy. Just put it out there. That's wrong thinking. It's not Bible to think that everything is always easy, everything is always good, that if I believe, I will have wealth and ease the rest of my life. That's simply not true. But I think it's sin for us to let fear impede our witness to the gospel. I think that's the biggest problem. And that really applies to all of us, whether we're going across the street to Kroger or across the world, where, as God calls us, fear impedes us sharing the gospel. That's, that's really Sorry good. about that. <laughs> it applies to us, which sure. is great. You know, I, I see a, a sense of an awakening in our own congregation amongst uh, young adults with feeling a sense maybe of call into mission, even even those who, who are experiencing a life change, whether that's moving into retirement, the sense of, I really feel like God's calling me to be about more. What, what would you share from your perspective to those who, who have that sense? Another great question. First of all, be sure of your call. Um, I want to be clear here. Calling for some is a very emotional thing. It certainly was for Gail and I, to be honest with you. Um, But for some, it's much more of a logical thought process. God's word says this, here I am, therefore I go. Either way, I'm not dictating it should be one or the other. Either way, be sure of your call, that it is the Lord God Almighty leading you to this venture. Second of all, uh, be open to confirmation. You as a church have a great responsibility that, sorry, often we shirk. What I mean is this. One of our members says, I feel called to go as a missionary or to be a missionary. uh, And so we quickly confirm that. Be careful about that confirmation. Just as we would want to be careful about who we confirm or approve or hold up as pastor and teacher in our church. Fair enough? We want to have that same care and consideration for those that we send to be pastor and teacher for others. Okay? So you, or we, as a church body, have a great deal to do with that calling. Second of all, be careful uh, whom uh, you go with, what organization or entity uh, you join yourself to. Uh, Doctrine is vital. What that organization believes, what you believe, that's very important. So find that out before you attach yourself to an organization. Uh, secondly, two things you need to look for. One is support. That's what we always look for. We say, yeah, I want to make sure that the organization will help me. Okay, well, there's another side to that, accountability. Yeah, that's the side we don't often look at. But it's vital to our success, our longevity and missions to look for that kind of organization. And then finally, be confident in the Lord. Uh, No matter what, uh, it's going to be very, very hard work, much harder than you can imagine. But be confident that the Lord who has called you and sent you and cares for you that he will fulfill what he has planned. That's so good. And just to say, if you feel God may be leading you and calling you, maybe you'll hear that even in this service today. We'd love to support you as a church and, and, uh, and that sense of discernment of how the Lord's at work in your life. 
Lastly, Keith, how can we be praying for you? Yeah. A little tough. Um, In about 30 days, uh, Gail and Samantha and I will be returning to the field. leaving three of our children here. Uh, you all send your kids off to college. We're on the other side of the world. Uh, I'm not trying to sure. make comparisons, but there's a big difference. Uh, and uh, that's not to garner pity. That's to ask for your prayer. Uh, we need your prayer. It's, uh, it's very difficult uh, to be so far away from family and from aging parents, to be perfectly honest. So that's a huge one for us. Secondly, uh, to pray for uh, Gail and I as I take up a new role. I used to be a cluster leader. Uh, Now I have a different job. I work throughout the affinity, all of Southeast Asia, uh, problem solving with uh, leading, following, and teaming. Uh, So that's a new thing for us. And then finally, pray for uh, Southeast Asia, for the lost, uh, for the believers and the missionaries there. That's great. Well, we are so happy that you're here. And uh, as a church, we commit to pray for you. Uh, one neat opportunity you're going to have, Christmas is coming up. I know it's hard to believe, but uh, we do our Christmas gift book from our church. And we're going to be partnering with our four uh, missionaries that come out of Westport Road that you're going to have opportunities to, to partner with the, the ministry that they're doing there. Just in response to, to how you've shared about a call to pray, we'd love to, to pray. I'd love to pray over you right now. Thank you. Okay. God, I thank you that you've called Keith and you've called his family. And I thank you, Lord, even what it says in 2 Corinthians, where, where, where Jesus, you spoke to Paul and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Lord, I pray in these weak vessels that you would pour out your spirit. I pray that you would equip them in, in, in new and fresh ways. Lord, I pray that uh, even as distance is far from their children and family and, and community here, I pray that that your spirit would be uh, strong. Watch over the children that are here. Lord, I ask that you be intimately involved in their story. I ask that you surround them with good people. I pray that you lead them to, to mentors who would speak into their life. And God, I pray that uh, the work of the gospel would only increase in Southeast Asia. We pray that women and men, boys and girls, would come to know you. We ask for an awakening of your spirit in new and fresh ways. In Jesus' name, amen bit of a challenge. I'm known for being a bit long-winded, like twice as long as I have today. Um, So it's been a concern of mine that I'll say everything that needs to be said uh, before the second service needs to start. (laughs) So what I want to address today is what is missions really about? And we'll do that by looking at Romans 15 verses 14 through 24. So if you have a Bible, please turn Romans chapter 15 right at the end. Romans chapter 15, we'll look at verses 14 through 24, and I'll read sections as we go along. So my aim is to answer the important question, what is this thing that we call missions? And our answer is found in the Bible, where God reveals his desire and his purpose, his plan, to make for himself a people out of every tribe, nation, and language. And he does this by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, his son, for the praise of his name. Towards the end of the letter uh, to the church at Rome, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes about priority and purpose, practice and participation of missions. Now, you don't see those exact words in there, so I'm going to help you see those. 
uh, this morning over the next few minutes. First, let's talk about the priority for missions. And I want you to understand that the priority for missions hinders our participation in many other good things. Look at verses 22 to 24. This is the reason why I have Paul writing. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while." So for many years, Paul says in his letter, he has longed to visit this church in Rome, but he was prevented from doing so. He was hindered, he says, from doing so. And he was hindered because of the priority of missions. Missions, and we'll define this better in a few minutes, is such a priority that everything else falls into ordered sequence after it. As the church, we live to serve God's desire and plan to make for himself a people and that becomes, is our overall objective. Now, how do, we serve, how do we serve this noble cause, you might ask? Well, when we pray, when we worship like we're worshiping today, when we study God's Word in Sunday school and in small groups, when we serve our fellow man, when we give to support this church, all these things are part of our supporting that end goal of participating in the Lord's mission to make for himself a people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, all these things should be aimed at to serve in fulfillment of this plan that God has made for himself. This is essentially the gospel, okay? That despite ourselves and our sinful condition, deserving only condemnation and punishment and hell, frankly, that God sent forth his son to be born in a major by the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect sinless life. Uh, after his 30-some-odd years of living, he was uh, arrested, and he was tried, and he was crucified. And the Old Testament speaks of his death, burial, and also resurrection as, a, as the Old Testament speaks of it in terms of sacrificial imagery. And we have so many stories of sacrifice in the Old Testament where we're told over and over again that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And all those stories in the Old Testament point to Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, his dying for our sin. And that's the gospel, and that's the gospel that must be proclaimed among the nations in order for people, by faith, to turn to Christ and be saved. Well, what, what does a mission's priority mean? It means that we're consumed with the impact of the gospel and the plight of the lost. We're consumed with the impact and the implication of the gospel here at Westport Road. What do we as the church here in Louisville, what do we do here as the church here in Louisville, and why do we do it? So you, brothers and sisters, saved by the gospel, don't be satisfied with anything less than a gospel-centered and gospel-saturated church. We should see gospel prayers and worship and thanks for the gospel, study of God's word to understand the gospel, giving in your community and serving in your, in your community out of a gospel-changed life, proclaiming the gospel to the heart. That's what the priority of the gospel means for you here. By the way, if you want this church to be radically changed and radically gospel-centered, 
Don't push that off on the church staff and on Chip as our pastor. When we say, boy, I really wish I was part of a church that that was just saturated and soaked and just dripping with gospel all the time, that when we prayed, we, we prayed thinking of the gospel, this great news that God has saved us, that he who is worthy and so worthy has lowered himself to become like us in Christ Jesus and then to die for our sin. And then he says, if we simply believe in him, that our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life. If we want to be in the kind of church that prays that kind of prayer, that when we worship, we sing these kinds of songs, not just with our mouth, but with our hearts. I I don't know how many times, too many times to count, really. I've stood just like some of you this morning and I sang songs, but I only sang them, I sang them with the words, okay? Maybe you sound better than me when you sang them, but you, you... To the Lord, it was just as bad. That that we sing the words and it's just stuff. It's just one word following another. But in gospel-saturated worship, we worship with our hearts. We sing these beautiful gospel words and we see that and Christ draws us to himself and we are one with him. When we say, yes, that's the Lord I serve. Yes, as pitiful as I am, as poor as I am, as inadequate as I am, that's the Lord I serve. And he has made me into one that he can actually use. I can actually be useful for his kingdom's sake. That's worth singing about. Amen? Well, if you want to be that kind of church, if you want to worship in that kind of way, if you want to serve out of that kind of life, then do it. Don't don't depend on church staff. Don't depend on chip. The place that a church changes or becomes or thrives in gospel saturation begins with you. It begins with me. Now that's what it means to have a missions priority in your church. For everything else to be secondary to the proclamation and the spread of the fame of the name of Jesus. If that's not what you're here about, then then you're here for a club or a social event. And these are really nice people to hang with. It's true. There's lots of nice activity that you can attend. But you can hang with these really nice people. And you can study the word together. And you can do those activities with a gospel heart. And then that mediocre or mundane activity is transformed into something great and glorious for the name of Christ. And that's what we're being challenged to do by the word of God today. But we're also consumed with the plight and the need of the gospel there. Among the lost. And this task is ridiculously impossible. Imagine moving to a place where you don't understand anything, can't even ask for a glass of water. Then, when you finally do learn the language and some culture, perhaps, you speak an unwanted message. If you do have fellow believers around you, many, if not most, are terrified to speak the name of Christ out of fear of retribution. So Gail and I, along with our children, uh, have went to Southeast Asia in 1999. And since we've actually been in the same city, Bandung, uh, for all those years. The last cluster that I led 
included 60 million people in uh, 300 plus people groups, meaning they speak that many different languages. That's a ridiculously impossible task if you didn't know. But here's the thing. God delights in doing the staggeredly impossible. And he delights in doing it through us as limited servants. So, start seeing your world through the priority of missions. Learning, being, living, telling, sending the gospel. And this does keep us from doing many good things. It keeps us from doing many good things while we do the very best thing. And that is bring praise and honor to the one who has saved us with a glorious grace. That's what Paul means when he says, I've long been hindered from coming to you. But now, since that work has been fulfilled, I'm going to come and visit for a while. I'm going to come and visit for a while so I can be encouraged by you. And so that you might join me in support of me as I go on to Spain. You see, even when he took a break, even when he took a break from from the previous missionary work where so many churches have been planted, that's what we read in the book of Acts, and we see many of the letters of the New Testament concerning those churches. Even after all that was done, and he gets a break from that, his eyes are still on, where's the next place to go? Where's the next place that Christ needs to be proclaimed? But when he has that break, he goes back and he, he wants to join the church again, the healthy, mature church again. And he goes there, and he seeks their support, he seeks their prayer, he seeks their fellowship as he goes on to the next place. That's a priority of missions. And may I suggest that that priority is for you as well as Gail and I. Secondly, the purpose of missions, to take the gospel to people and places where Christ has not been named. So in verses 20 to 21, Paul writes, Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ambition and mission was to take the gospel to what we call unreached peoples and places. Now, let me give you an extremely non-technical, clear definition of an unreached people group. Extreme lostness. People in places who have never heard the name of Christ. So what's it like to be a member of an unreached people group, to live in an unreached place? To be an unreached people or place is to be virtually isolated from the name of Christ. So let me give you a picture of that in Southeast Asia. We're talking about 10 countries or so with a population of 230 million, 430-some-odd large people groups. Once again, when we say people group, we mean they have their own culture, but more importantly, their own language. So they cannot communicate in that heart language with people right next door who are speaking their heart language. And we have at least 430 of those just in Southeast Asia. 96% of the population of Southeast Asia, 220 million people, do not know Christ. That's close to the population of the entire United States. Do not know Christ. Furthermore, they may not have even heard the gospel. Well, 220 million. I mean, I can say that number, but 
what, what's that look like? So I got a few pictures for you. Do you remember the 2004 tsunami? Big event, right? Huge. It really captured the imagination and the hearts, frankly, of the entire world, including this church. Some of you, I think, uh, went and did tsunami relief uh, back in 2004, 2005. Well, it would take a thousand tsunamis to wipe out the number of lost people in Southeast Asia. A thousand tsunamis. Even the deadliest day in history, the Zhangji earthquake of 1556, it only killed 830,000 people in China. It would take 265 record-breaking earthquakes to destroy as many lives as are lost in Southeast Asia. It took the plague, one of the most devastating losses of human life in history, it took the plague, the Black Plague, a full 100 years to kill 200 million people. But in one generation, a third of that time, sin could kill 220 million in Southeast Asia. So that's a picture of the number of people without Christ, but what's it like not to know him? Now, a big chunk of the lost population in Southeast Asia is Muslim, not all. There's also Hindus and animists uh, and a few others. Our work primarily uh, up to now has been uh, with Muslims. Now, they, they know the name Jesus. He's called Isa al-Masih, uh, which is Jesus the Messiah. And he's an important prophet in Islam, but the story of Jesus that they know is distorted and is full of error. And along with this ignorance of Jesus comes opposition to his gospel. And this is where it gets a little hard for us to handle in our hearts sometimes. What I mean is this. There's a guy, and his name is Ringit. He's not really a friendly guy. He might even be a dangerous one. We were, this is early in our time of service uh, in Southeast Asia. We were managing a center. And he, uh, he would come and visit from time to time. And he and I had had conversations, and they never went really well. Um, I would try to share. Uh, I don't know if I ever was able to share the, the full gospel story with him or not. Um, but I, I tried to share to witness to him. And um, it wasn't like beating my head up against the wall. It was like a wall beating it up against my head. It was quite the opposite. So he was extremely aggressive. Uh, he would get unusually loud. Um, unusual for us Southeast Asians. We're not loud people. <laughs> Unusually loud and agitated when I would uh, witness, when I would share the gospel with him. And it actually got me a little concerned. At this time, we'd gotten a few uh, threatening uh, emails um, and such. And so, and generally, tensions were a little bit high. Uh, there were a lot of bad things going on between Christians and Muslims at that point uh, in this country. And so, I told one of our staff members, I said, if Ringit ever walks in here with a heavy backpack, and you're afraid that he's about to do something terrible. Get the Muslims out of the building. And it took her a few minutes to, to understand what I meant. You see, here's the deal. 
despite how we might feel at first about a people who don't want to hear our message, ring it. Despite how we might feel about an entire group of people, Muslims in general, that for a lot of reasons, many of them really good, don't get me wrong, might not feel friendly towards them. We've got to get it into our heads because it's going to be hard to get it into our hearts. That if that guy walked into a building and he was going to do something really, really bad, and the place was full of people, let's say 20 or 30 people, and you knew the staff members are all believers, and there's one or two other believers in the crowd, but everybody else is Muslim. The priority I told her was get the Muslims out of here. Why would I tell her that? Because if physical death comes to a believer, we simply step into glory. We step into the presence of our maker, our savior, our Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? And as difficult that is to absorb and to get our hearts and heads around sometimes, as, as difficult as, as times of death, even among a believer, are, are, is hard on us, right? Oh, but friends, if a Muslim dies, if a Buddhist dies, a Hindu an animist, an atheist, someone who calls himself Christian, but their hearts are just the same as they were the day they were born and is filthy and full of junk. If they die, they step into punishment and torment. That's what it's like to be lost. That's what it's like to live among an unreached people. When everyone around you is just that close to eternal death. So although Muslims are not the enemy in that sense, they sure can make it hard for us. And we face lots of opposition. We face opposition just for being foreigners. I remember when uh, Wesley and Aaron were just little tykes. Uh, some neighborhood kids uh, were throwing rocks at them and, and it hit them with rocks. That's not, not a huge thing. It's not like we had to run off to the hospital. No one got stitches or anything like that. But moms and dads, someone throwing rocks at your kid? Just pack up and leave. Why am I here anyway, right? They're throwing rocks at my kid for Pete's sake. All my kid wants to do is play. We face opposition from government. New churches require 30 members and the signatures of 70 of their neighbors, of their Muslim neighbors, in order to build a church building. No wonder we start house churches. The law is often used to restrain Christians and Christian witness. Uh, the governor of Jakarta um, has been sent to jail. Uh, he's a Christian, a devout uh, believer, fellow uh, brother in Christ. There's no doubt about that. 
Um, he said some things. They say he blasphemed the Quran by misquoting it or something. All that aside, the main thing was that there was a great deal of opposition to a Christian being a governor of one of the world's largest Muslim cities, Jakarta. And so he's in jail. The man walked in jail. Had pictures of him walking into jail carrying one thing, his Bible. The prosecutor, the prosecutor, they, uh, they're seen by a judge, not by a jury of your peers. So they're evaluated by a judge. So the prosecutor who made the case, the criminal case against the governor, when it then, and he won that, when it came to the sentencing phase, he said, okay, we're going to, he says, I recommend that we let the guy go free because the evidence against him is weak. So the purpose of missions is to proclaim Christ where he is not known. Let me just, um, I was unable to do what I wanted to do uh, because I, but I need to talk to you a little bit about participation. How can you participate in missions? We like Paul, we need you to pray for us. We need you to pray for us because the, the work, as, as you've seen, is impossible. We need you to give to the mission's effort. We need for you to pray for us to be fruitful and faithful. But we need for some of you to come. Paul, in, in the first part of this uh, of this section of Scripture, verses 14 through 17, he describes himself as an apostle to the Gentiles, set apart by the Holy Spirit. He's referring back to that time in Antioch where he and Barnabas, during a time of prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to the church and said, Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, that they might do the work to which I have called them. When you ask the question, Is everyone a missionary? My answer is easy. No. No. But if you ask the question differently, does everyone have a place in missions? The answer is just as easy. The answer is yes. Paul in Romans chapter 12 talks about the, he who gives, let him give generously. That's participating in missions. Paul in chapter 15, the section we just read, and he talks about uh, he's going to Rome and he seeks their prayer, he seeks their fellowship, and he seeks their help along the way. So we all have a part to play in taking the gospel to the world, to the lost world. But not all of you are called to leave. One last thing I want to say. I used to, to make the statement, well, at least you can pray. My wife corrected my really bad theology. She said, Keith, prayer is not the least thing we can do. It may be the most important thing we can do. So if you say, well, I am unable for whatever reason and all I can do is pray, let me tell you, all that you can do is grand. It's glorious. Scripture describes the prayer of the saints as incense in golden censers. And those are the prayers that you offer up on behalf of us so that the kingdom of God might be spread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Father, for their hearts that beat for missions. I thank you, Father, for 
their prayer, for their sacrificial giving, for their support, especially Father of our family, just incredible ways that they join us and come around us, Father. And Father, I ask that you speak into their hearts today. And if there are those who, first of all, Father, need to follow you in faith, may they do so. May your spirit move in their hearts. But Father, for every single member of this church, for every single believer here, Father, may you move in their hearts that your mission might be the priority of their lives. So that out of the millions of lost people throughout the world, from every tribe and tongue and nation, a people might be made for your sake. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.